0: Welcome back to How It's About. This is our Singapore special. We call it a special because it's just a bit different than some of our other episodes. We're including a question from one of our listeners. Also, the interview that we gleaned was so thorough in describing what Singapore is like and the weather and the history and the culture, we're just gonna let him say it. Uh, Really, we're gonna tell you what we did there in our short handful of days. Uh, And in the words of Captain Jack Sparrow, if you don't understand it, clearly you've never been to Singapore.
1: We knew at some point in our journey we were going to have to go to Singapore, and an invitation from an old friend made that very easy. Daniel Dito is a friend of mine from high school, and he is in Singapore, has been there for a few years off and on, and his girlfriend Grace is a local. And so they invited us to come by and check it out, and, um, and so we definitely took them up on that offer, and they proved to be just exceptional host and hostess as they greeted us really late at night, 9 p.m., and took us out to dinner that night. Um, it yeah. was
0: in Singapore. Contrary to old Jack's day, when it might have been a swashbuckling port city, uh, <laughs> a lot more like the movie Crazy Rich Asians. To be honest, the opening scene, we showed up at this beautiful food court outdoor. Uh, kind of street market, but in which, a very clean and modern way. And Grace way. informed
1: us they called that a hawker center.
0: Yeah, a hawker center. Yes. Uh, and they even had buzzers for when your food was ready, but it was nonetheless extremely authentic and cooked by people that had perfected one single dish for a very long time, mm. uh, including Stingray, which I loved.
1: It was good. It was also very spicy. Okay. We had just a variety of delicious you know, dumplings and fried noodles and skewers. I had a sugar cane drink that Grace recommended that was delicious. Yeah. Um, but that was our intro.
0: Couldn't have asked for a better welcome. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we made our way confusedly across town with a, an Uber pool uh, with another <laughs> very helpful local that told us where our hostel was. And um, we found that okay. And the next morning we woke up hungry to hit the town.
1: And what Daniel had warned us the night before was that Singapore is very hot we were like oh we've been in Southeast Asia for a few months now it's no big deal no Singapore is very hot we woke up and instantly started sweating yeah so we kind of had to look at the city and figure out what are we gonna do to stay cool today
0: totally and Daniel had actually given us a long list of things to go do and see and mostly eat this is quite the food city yes uh And the list was pretty overwhelming, and we were just thinking about maybe a glass of lemonade in the shade. But uh, (laughs) nonetheless, we were going to seize the day. I wanted to find more than anything else was the Marina Sands.
1: Marine Bay Sands. Marine
0: Bay Sands Hotel. Which
1: is that famous hotel. I don't know if you've seen that show on Netflix. It's uh, Well,
0: I certainly have. I, I was watching this show in cold Spokane in the middle of the winter and this beautiful hotel with multiple towers and this surfboard platform with an infinity pool. Just, like, no building on the planet, and I wanted to see this building, gosh darn it. So that was my big top thing to do.
1: We got there right away, and at the bottom they had this dessert shop, and I think the first thing that we did was just dive into a pile of delicious chocolates and sweets and breads, and um, that was the start of the day. Oh, it was
0: just it was just like the episode on Netflix, mm. perfect little delicatessen desserts, and um, even found out that you can take the elevator all the way to the top, And hang out at the cafe by the infinity pool, which is totally where I wanted to get to. (laughs) And so we bought some of the most expensive French fries and dumplings of our life up at that cafe. And it was totally worth it. got to take in just a breathtaking view as the swimming pool dumped off into infinity, it would seem. Um, And uh, just kind of checked a box for me, something I'd really wanted to see in the world, but I didn't know if I'd ever make it there. Um, And... Also, the Gardens by the Bay, very famous part of Singapore. These, also,
1: right near the right near Marine there. Bay.
0: Um, yeah, sculptures, just in- intricate systems of gardens and all these different tropical plants and big pluming tree sculptures. Really hard to describe, but you've probably seen them. Um, so much fun walking and sweating through those uh, <laughs>
1: lots of sweat
0: <laughs> and eventually making our way back to the mall attached to the hotel which was i don't even know how to describe oh this my goodness! Mall.
1: this mall went on for miles it seemed underground a lot of singapore actually is underground and i think part of that is because it is so hot people need to escape the heat um but yeah this mall was just filled with all the designer brands gucci tom ford prada Burberry Chanel. And we just kind of wandered in. We're totally dressed like the vagabond hippies that we are right now. Just Chacos and, you know, kind of disgruntled.
0: But <laughs>
1: <laughs> nonetheless, we went in and tried on perfumes and looked at the clothes. and
0: Put on sunglasses that oh, had it was so price off. tags yes, beyond us. Yeah. Indeed.
1: Um, but there was a moment I was so exhausted from the heat. We just went to another food court and I just, I took a nap took in a the nap food on the court. I just laid my head down and just had to sleep yeah. for a minute. Um, it was that hot. But, um, yeah, later in the evening, um, after after work, Grace and Daniel met, us, met up with us again for dinner, which was so kind of them. Um, we all piled into an Uber and headed out to this place to have the very famous Singaporean...
0: Chili crab.
1: Oh, my gosh. It was oh, so delicious. So
0: good. I mean, I've probably only had crab, being honest here, two or three times in my life. I know. It's sad. Didn't grow up by the salt water. Um, yeah. <laughs> but... I never once have had enough crab because you never seem to have enough. Well, they brought us crab by the kilo, uh, a platter of crab cooked in the most delicious chili sauce. It was
1: so good. There were
0: bibs, there were tools, and (laughs) it was unceremonious. And we just ate our fill of crab and uh, I think we got a, a rice side dish and a couple other things. And I've just never thought that I could be full on crab. And such delicious crab, but man, what a treat. And yeah, just super blessed to have been able to receive that gift.
1: It was very, very kind um, of Daniel and Grace to take us there. And so later we walked around downtown and went to a really fun local dessert shop where Grace really tried to get us to like the durian ice cream,
0: which I don't even know durian. How to tell you about this. I didn't even know it existed, durian. but all throughout Asia, it's becoming this this cult following absolute
1: durian craze
0: it's it's actually really expensive some of the more refined versions uh, can be hundreds of dollars but um it so
1: hang on what is durian
0: well it's this big fruit kind of looks like a jackfruit a large spiky kind of basketball looking fruit or watermelon but it's with spikes on it Uh, and inside is this orange sort of mushy mango fruit Uh, I don't know exactly how it's processed but I do know that it tastes like propane smells literally uh, yeah. if i had not been warned of that fact i would have been really in trouble but because i was pre pre-warned with this i actually kind of liked it
1: it's really impressive to me and I, and I think that means that you have a really sophisticated palate i took one bite of this ice cream and grace is ooing and awing over it oh you're gonna love it, you're gonna love it and i just <gasps> it was all i could do to keep from spitting it out it was so intense it's a very very intense flavor so that was our durian experience yeah, and
0: we're not alone in those that really do love it. Um, I think it's pretty good. The hotels, the um, buses, uh, the underground metro—they have signs that say "Do not bring durian into this bus or into this um, hotel." And there's even fines that will yes, you'll incur if you bring this fruit. Why? Because it smells terrible. The
1: smell of it is very pungent, and I think most people agree that the smell is bad. But the 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 taste and the flavor is supposed to be really good i just couldn't tell the difference it just
0: fills whatever space you're in so uh people that uh really love durian especially the chinese will often try to sneak it into hotel rooms and (laughs) will incur these fines because they can't hide the smell of this delicacy but it is a cult following
1: so that was the finishing touches to our just incredible and food-packed time in Singapore. We said a huge thank you and farewell to Grace and Daniel and then proceeded to forget to interview them. So Daniel, a couple days later, I wrote him and asked if he would send in an interview and he very kindly put this together. And I would encourage you to listen very closely because it is jam-packed with really good information about Singapore. Lots of fascinating stuff I didn't know. So enjoy this interview.
2: Hello from Singapore. This is Daniel. I'm a high school friend of Lauren's. Uh, in Singapore, and she'd asked me to make a couple of statements about my experiences here. So first, hello to Mr. and Mrs. Loudon, or as I would call you if we were all Singaporeans, uncle and auntie. And secondly, I thought I'd just get into it by talking about the main stuff that you notice right away in Singapore. So for me, that was the the main language here is English. So everyone speaks English, uh, pretty much everyone except for maybe grandparents. Um, but a lot of people do also speak a uh, second language like Chinese. As for the city itself, I'd say there's a neat mix of old architecture with modern uh, skyscrapers. Uh, the old architecture that's really common here are Peronican shop houses, which are these uh, old fashioned shop houses with a store or restaurant below and then one story above it where the family uh, would live. But of course, if you go downtown, uh, you're just going to see a lot of uh, cool looking uh, skyscrapers. Um, And I think that's really because, A, uh, it's a wealthy city, and B, land is at a premium, so you have a lot of skyscrapers trying to use the land very efficiently. Uh, And then along with that, a lot of uh, really efficient uh, services like uh, the MRT, which is their subway uh, and bus system. Uh, It seems like a really well-functioning city. But a city is really made up of people, so I think what was most interesting to me uh, was the ethnic makeup of Singaporeans. So three-quarters of Singaporeans are ethnically Chinese, uh, and then the rest are split roughly uh, about 12% uh, who are Indians and 12% who are Malaysians, uh, and then uh, a tiny, like 2%, maybe, are Caucasians. For me, the ethnic makeup is really interesting because it's so apparent in the life of the city. Uh, Like Hong Kong, for example, on Sundays, you'll see all the domestic workers uh, who are like family maids, Uh, They all come together um, in public places like MRT stations, uh, pretty much anywhere that's covered but free. Um, And they'll sit and basically eat lunch together. But the two ethnicities that really define Singapore's history are the Chinese and the Malaysians. Singapore was actually a part of Malaysia briefly uh, after it left the British Empire, right about after World War II. But then it left Malaysia after a brief period and the reason is because there's a tension between the groups of ethnic chinese in malaysia who tend to be uh, more wealthy and successful uh, than the um, ethnic malaysians and so and so ultimately the chinese majority singapore uh, didn't feel welcome in the malaysian majority malaysia so i think knowing that background makes a lot of singapore more interesting because you see uh, like parts of that history in how it is today Uh, For example, they had some race riots back in the 1960s uh, that really, I think, were formative uh, for the government in creating a lot of the policies they have today. So funnily enough, even the architecture of the Supreme Court uh, is a result of this. Uh, The Supreme Court building is a big glass box with what looks like a UFO on top where the Supreme Court meets. And it was actually intentional to make that building uh, a modern piece of architecture as opposed to a colonial or building or some other um, type of architecture specific to any one culture as a way of showing that uh, justice, you know, wasn't owned by any uh, culture, uh, British or or otherwise. But in terms of things that are more directly applicable to people's lives, the government doesn't allow racially derogatory language, so there's not a free speech kind of um, constitutional right like there is in the U.S., Um, And interestingly enough, there's also racial quotas in the housing here, and that's important because the housing uh, that most Singaporeans live in is public housing. Uh, Eighty percent of Singaporeans live in big apartment buildings, and so that's cool uh, in terms of like an efficient infrastructure. You can really put a lot of people in a small place. You know, it's five million people uh, in a space roughly the size of the greater Seattle area uh, compared to 700,000 people in Seattle. Uh, so it's quite a big uh, difference in terms of density, uh, which makes for, of course, you know, all more efficient social services like uh, subways and the like. But it also makes a need for the government to use the land efficiently. So the neat thing is that the government has created this housing system where people's uh, cost of, of their housing depends on how much uh, money they make. So unless you're really wealthy, you can be sure that You'll be able to have affordable housing available from the government, and this has actually been the one plan more than anything else that has contributed to the same party um, being in control of the government uh, since the founding of Singapore. So it's a fifty-year run uh, of one party being in power uh, it would be the same as if the Republicans or or just the Democrats, you know, uh, were to control uh, the U.S. You know, for the last fifty years. So it's a pretty impressive achievement, um, and it's certainly one that the Chinese government has uh, been very interested in following uh, because the interesting thing in Singapore is that they've been able to do that even uh, though they have uh, free and fair elections. And so it helps to uh, have provided um, basically affordable housing to a bunch of people who, you know, 50 years ago were basically living in slums. So it's a really amazing success story. And as an American, uh, it's especially interesting that they've succeeded at policies that the U.S. tried you know, 20, 30 years ago uh, and wasn't very successful at. And other areas that that has happened uh, with are uh, with public companies uh, that are controlled by the government. They can still be profitable and really successful here. And also with incentivizing the economy to encourage industries they want uh, For example, shipping uh, in Singapore as a port, uh, it's one of the biggest by volume in the world. Uh, But I should turn at the end here to something a little more um, down-to-earth, which is to say the weather. If there's really one thing uh, I would describe Singapore uh, with, it's that it's really hot. It's basically 90 degrees every day, uh, regardless of whether it rains or not. Um, Thunderstorms here are pretty intense. I've definitely never heard thunder this loud it's it's really <laughs> scary in the middle of the night i'll have to admit but the heat is definitely the worst part of being in singapore uh, and so i just want to finish up by mentioning something that singapore's first prime minister lee kuan yew said uh, which was that the most important invention of the 20th century was air conditioning and if you ever come to singapore you'll know what he was talking about so if you do come definitely get in some ac and drink some bubble tea So So that's that's it from us, La. Happy happy travels. travels.
1: To be perfectly honest, after Justin and I listened to that for the first time, we just looked at each other and said, we need to give up and have Daniel just do our podcast for us because it was so good. We're going to move on now to our question from one of our listeners, my Aunt Karen, Um, tried to send us a voicemail earlier, but I don't think we're able to get voicemails right now. So she emailed us a question and we welcome you to do the same if you are interested. And her question is,
0: how do you decide the simplest of issues? Do you flip a coin? Or do you take turns or do you ask someone else to decide the little things like where to eat lunch or how to get from here to there? Great question.
1: Yeah. Thanks, KK. Thank you so much for um, asking. And yeah, that's a really good question because we have a thousand decisions to make every day.
0: Yeah. I mean, getting all of those things taken care of, if you don't do it, you're just going to end up the path of least resistance, which usually doesn't end you up in a good place. Right. Um. So we have to make a lot of smart choices, quick choices, and it takes playing to our strengths, honestly. Uh, Absolutely. Lauren is really good at small details and booking things and kind of looking at the big picture and things like that. She's also really good at uh, picking accommodation just in general. She's got a good gut sense about it. I have a horrible gut sense about it. I don't know why. Every time I pick it, it doesn't seem to turn out very well. And
1: actually, literally this afternoon where we currently are, Justin chose the hotel. (laughs) After about 20 minutes, for various reasons, we packed up our things and had to move on <laughs> to, to the place that Lauren thought was going to be a good place.
0: Initially. So and
1: here we are. Lesson
0: learned. <laughs> Very trust-rend. happy. But when it comes to food, a lot of times the same thing has happened, where I have a good gut feel on where we should eat, if it kind of looks busy or if it looks clean or if it I looks local. I just have local. no gauge
1: for this. She just Justin sees a, does.
0: a really pretty sign or something cool,
1: and, <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh. and uh, that's when we get food poisoning. No. Yes, so (laughs)
1: generally he defers to me on accommodation I defer to him on food that's kind of how it goes but also I will say something Justin is very good at is asking locals just shamelessly he will just stop anyone on the street and just ask so, hey, where's the really cool secret beach? Or, like, where's the cool this, that, and, or the other? And he's just very good at hunting down the real local, like, this is where you want to go. I call go. them the
0: pirate legends. The
1: pirate legends. The
0: travelers. We also ask other travelers, like, what, what mm-hmm. have you heard? Where, Where is this kind of place? Like, and this
1: always works out because people want to share when they found something good. Um, but I, I kind of stand back and I watch him, like, attack these questions. I'm like, oh. You're asking too much or whatever, but he just, he's so shameless about it and and it always works out because we do end up finding the cool beach or the the secret local place that is good. But
0: getting back, I think, to the the spirit of the question, what if there's just a bunch of good options and we don't know and we just need to pick and we live in a a journey right now where anything could happen. We could pick an option right now. We're even deciding which direction to go and thousands of miles are in between some of our options. So... What do we do when we're faced with those? Honestly, I think sometimes we just sort of relax and go with the flow and float. And you float for a little bit and all of a sudden you're heading on a bus somewhere and you're not really sure and it's just put pieces are getting put together and mm-hmm. and you float for a minute and then all of a sudden something's right in front of you and that's the place you go or the place you eat or stay or even the new city you go to. Right. Uh, hard to kind of describe, but sometimes I think when we drive ourselves crazy with the options and the what's mm. better or where's the weather going to be this or where's the food going to be that, sometimes we just let go and see where the particular street or culture or moment kind of takes us. There's
1: this phrase that we learned from our pal in New Zealand that we were traveling with, Maggie. She said um, she was struggling with the same thing, just, oh, all these options, and I need to go see everything and do everything. And this this old man, I think it was in Thailand, told her, Maggie, you need to save some for the sharks. And so we've been <laughs> con- contemplating this this quote, save some for the sharks, and just being able to let some of the options go and just kind of choose what's in front of you. Or like Justin was saying, let whatever's there rise to the surface and um, save some for the sharks. Let let others enjoy those other options.
0: Yep, because you can drive yourself crazy with Googling and TripAdvisor and reviews, and you know sometimes that's saved our butts, but other times it's just paralyzed us. Absolutely. sometimes you just got to look up and see what's around and, Mm -hmm. and let some other stuff go. Hope that answers your question. Yeah.
1: And that's really, truly one of the big lessons that we have learned on this trip is how to, um, how to choose and not be paralyzed by choices. Because I think both of us are, um, just so excited by all the sights and sounds and, um, and how do we deal with that? So thank you for that question. And seriously, if anyone else has a, a question or a comment or anything you'd like to, um, Send in, we we do welcome that.
0: Shoot us an email. You can try a voicemail, but yeah, either way. Oh, can't forget a lesson learned. Um, Oh dear. (laughs) So Singapore, we had just come out of you know a couple of different places, cultures where the language barrier was always right in our face, especially you know in airports and different places trying to just get to the right place. Well. First of all, there was a security check getting off of your plane. You run your stuff through the metal detector. I've never had that, so already a little thrown off my groove and quite tired. Put my bag through the belt and all the different things. And then the lady says, Have a wonderful time in Singapore in perfect English. And I'm just like, oh, th- thank you. And I just walk away, leaving my bag on the conveyor belt. So stunned by the perfect English.
1: <laughs> and so we continued on through the airport all the way through the passport check and customs. Oh, and
0: our Well past the
1: point of no return.
0: <laughs> uh, to our often stop of trying on a little bit of free perfume or cologne in the duty-free area. We never do that. <laughs> we never. We always do that. We always do and that. And then I look up. I'm like, putting on my nice cologne. I'm like, uh-oh, where's my bag? I was like, oh, I think it's just right back there. And I was literally a hundred feet from the spot where you can return anymore. All that to say after about 15 minutes of finding the right information counter, they said literally they had to treat it like an abandoned item. The police would need to be called. It would need to be searched thoroughly. And I probably wouldn't see my bag for days potentially. <laughs> so <laughs> at that point I ate some of the free candy and the little dish in this perfect airport where there's things like candy and beautiful signs and said, okay. Let's just go with the flow. I, I guess I'll call you guys later. So we left the airport, and I had not put the shirt on my back. Um, oh, pants, too. I had pants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so he had
1: to go his whole trip in Singapore without his bag. Yep. And, you know, that just goes out to those of you who I know you want to hear more of the nitty-gritty of, like, oh, what's going on that's, that's hard? Or, like, you know, we do have challenges and struggles, and, and we really do, um, yeah. yeah, have mishaps throughout our days. So it's not all... Sunshine and beaches, you know, yep. we really do have... There's some,
0: there's some moments. We, could, <laughs> yeah. we could, I think some episodes to come, we might get into some of the, the harder moments, because um, mm-hmm. traveling is not all success. A lot I of know. times it's staring at an iPhone, wandering around at night, trying to find that hotel, or you name it. Being uh,
1: totally exhausted and wondering where you are and why you're there, and... Yeah, and um, well, or,
0: you're, or just transportation falling through—that's an often thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're, we're trying to get to the airport in time, and we get dropped off at the wrong terminal. We could go on, but somehow it always kind of seems to work out. You That's know, true. did my bag have all its stuff? Kinda. I didn't find my favorite shorts, but they were kind of dirty, so they probably threw them away. That's all.
1: We're learning to be flexible and content <laughs> in any situation, and it's just a pure delight.
0: <laughs> in conclusion. Singapore, well done. This city is so organized. It's so clean. I guess chewing gum is actually illegal, which helps keep the streets immaculate. Uh, almost afraid to walk someplace. It's just so beautiful and clean and organized. And the subway system just getting from A to B really was just a pleasure to wander around and, and just experience a truly modern city of, of the future. And uh, we know we're going to be back a bunch of times in the future as we go on through.